Coming up this week, a bumper show on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. We discuss Thailand's Africa Tour, women's T20 World Cup qualifying, under-19 World Cup shuffles, Rwanda versus Ghana mysteries, plus a big week of associates in the franchise game. But first, a shout-out to our Patreon supporters who help us do what we do. If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket patron. A huge shout-out to our latest patron, Declan Jones. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. To sign up, log on to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash emergingcricket. Enjoy yet another EC pod. Welcome once again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick tonight, just joined by Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you? I'm well, Bez. I'm well. I'm, I'm getting used to this lockdown being extended uh, forevermore. It's like the um, carrot on on front of the donkey, where it, you just can you can never quite reach it. Uh, but um, uh, you know, with with cases still rising, it's it's hardly surprising. Um, you know, more time for emerging cricket. Had a good chat to Rod Lyle about Dutch cricket, and incidentally, it's Rod's birthday. So happy birthday, Rod! How are you, Bez? Good. Uh, it's been a crazy week, and I, I don't know how because in lockdown, you would think it would end up being the most monotonous thing in the world. Should probably point out that. Tim, just with the timing of the pod this week, was unavailable on some Vanuatu cricket duty. We were meant to record yesterday. That didn't materialise, but hopefully uh, he's enjoying his his time of it on Vanuatu duty. It's been quite a week, and I've, I've had to race out to get a passport photo taken and to renew my passport, which sounds like the height of optimism given the situation that we, especially as Australians, are in. <laughs> hopefully have some good news around the corner, but the, what, the reason why I wanted to bring it up was... I looked certifiably terrible in the passport photo. Now, Nick, you'll be able to see it as we are on a video call, but I have this huge zit on my forehead <laughs> and some bad sort of acne, and I've got bags under my eyes bigger than the bags that kids have when they go to school and they have PE and maths on the same day. But as you can see, Nick here, like I look horrific in that photo and I know they're not supposed to be great. Is this going to be a, a, a risk for you coming back? Because you know, I know they have the automatic <laughs> ones where you put your photo in and they're like... They just won't recognise this horrible <laughs> face, yeah. <laughs> we might we might push that to socials to let everyone know just how bad it is. But maybe some good news around the corner, but mainly just renewing the passport with you know future travel in, in mind. It expired anyway, my, my old one, so... Good to get that all done in what's been a, a well a really busy week of emerging cricket, Nick. And there's a lot going on in the emerging game, Nick. Signing news: we've got a women's T20 European qualifier that's begun. But let's head first to Thailand's tour of Zimbabwe. Of course, they're there in a a pretty audacious bid to qualify for the Women's Cricket World Cup in New Zealand early next year, the 50-over tournament. They've travelled early to Southern Africa to compete, play against Zimbabwe in four unofficial one-day internationals and then a T20i series, which we will review next week. But let's look at the four one-day matches, Nick. Shared two matches apiece. Was a long time between drinks for Thailand in one-day 50-over cricket, but very much with that project for World Cup qualification in mind. 2-2 in the series. Uh, Zimbabwe were too strong in the first game, but it did look as if Thailand over the course of the series really grew into their game. A number of key players putting their hands up, and we'll get to that in a moment, but a pretty good hit out so far on that tour for the Thai girls, and 
With the T20s coming up, which is definitely their better format of the two white ball formats, it's good experience for them to get some 50-over games under their belt. Yeah, it was their first 50-over uh, series since, I think, 2018 or maybe even 2017 because, as we know, in, in associate cricket, on the women's side, they almost never play 50-over cricket. And, and so the fact that they're here and preparing is going to be really important. Um, I'm sure we'll look ahead to the women's qualifier and, and the ramifications of that in a sec. But as you said, they did get a bit better over the course of the series. I think they're still finding their feet, especially in the format. You know, the, I mean, it's their first official cricket of any kind since the World Cup that came against Pakistan that we we, we saw them get uh, robbed by the rain in Sydney in early 2020. So for them, just you know, getting on the field, I think, is, is the important thing. As I said, I think there's some just a little bit to work on. Um, there, there are a couple of sloppy errors in the field. The, the stream was a bit hard to judge from, but it looked like there were a couple of lost catches and, and just kind of basic mistakes, which is unusual for Thailand. One of their great strengths is being really disciplined in the field and um, being able to you know take all their chances and, and make the most of that. So, yeah, hopefully they, they can just sort of shake off the rust. as the It's a month-long tour and they're playing, I think, about 15 matches. So over the course of that, they should, they should get into the groove of things. Uh, there was one interesting moment where... It, like it, it seemed like Chai Wai, the the new skipper, miscalculated her bowlers overs because she got Laomi, I think it was, to start bowling her. Well, what she thought was the tenth over, but she'd already bowled ten overs, so she had to swap to entire butcher term to finish out the game. So that was quite strange. But hopefully, uh, as as we said, Chai Wai and the rest of the Thai team just you know grow into the role and and get into the winning machine that they had turned into over the last few years before the enforced break of, of nearly two years. A hundred for Naramol Chai on that, or in that uh, series of four matches, and I can't imagine there's too many Centurions in Thai international cricket, whether they are official internationals or not, purely because they've only really played the T20 side of things. So a great milestone for Chai Wei and, and probably some, some inspiration for some of her teammates. Did notice that they are definitely trying new things out. Uh, Chinita Saturawang seems to be used more as a batter now. Uh, didn't really bowl much at all, I think, in the, in the one-day matches. I think only bowled in one of those games. So maybe they are just tinkering and, and trying and experimenting a few different things just to make sure they get everything right. But again, the, the strong Thai presence individually was was felt not only through Chai Wai, but Natai Buchatam taking nine wickets over the course of those four matches as well. And again, yeah, a number of key performers in this generation is, is very much a golden generation of Thai talent. We will eventually have to see some younger players knocking down uh, the door in, in trying to get into that team. We know that Sonaran Tipok has given her captaincy away to Chai Wai and, and yeah, perhaps the inexperience of Chai Wai's captaincy was shown here, but it's a good lesson for her to learn in an unofficial one-day international. So pretty good uh, things to, to go off here for Thailand. I think it bodes well for the aspirations in the 50-over side of things. Again, we probably need to reiterate that it's a format that they haven't really had a chance to play too much of. So if they can get a win under their belt or two in this case, it's 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 probably a good result for them and they'll come into the T20i series arguably as favourites against the Zimbabweans. We're yet to see that, albeit in away conditions. Looking forward to that over the weekend and we'll probably wrap a lot of that next week. Yeah, and, and as you said, um, 
It'll be interesting to see how Zimbabwe goes in the in the T20s because we haven't seen that much of their women's team of late. Obviously, they missed out on the women's qualifier a couple of years ago uh, because the board was suspended at the time. And, and just on Chinita not bowling, she bowled two overs and, and got hit around a bit and, and that was about it for the whole series. So, it was, yeah, it was a bit strange on that front because she, she can get a bit of wobble and, and she's, she's a handy bowler. So, it was interesting there. But looking at the batting side of things, her spot in the batting order was quite instructive in the way it kind of shows where Thailand are at. And, and her coming down in the order provided a bit of momentum late and that was something that we saw in all four games they, they tended to just get a bit bogged down in the middle overs and especially Sonna and you know I think in the third game she got 27 off about 80 balls and, and just really got stuck and I'm, I'm just sort of wonder if Thailand's strength which is their their discipline and, and they're well drilled and they're technically compact whether there is a downside to that in in the sense that um, you know, they, they often, they're a bit formulaic in the way they hit to the fielders quite a lot. Um, whereas, um, whereas Chinita Sudarang is a lot better at, you know, manipulating it around the field and, and she was able to sort of find the gaps and, and get the boundaries when needed and, and lift that run rate because, you know, looking ahead to, to the women's 50 over qualifier, which is, is what they're preparing for, you know, you, you need a finisher in this day and age of cricket, even in women's cricket. And if, if they can't, you know, push up that run rate after building a platform. There were, I think, in three games, they got up to a, a decent sort of platform where, you know, they needed someone to come in and, and, and step up the run rate and they just didn't have that. And so they, they posted you know, poor to middling totals, uh, which which was a problem. And, and so I think um, looking ahead, yeah, Chinita is going to be very important to that campaign in, in the women's um, 50 over qualifier where, you know, the top five teams in that 10-team tournament qualify for the women's ODI championship which which is guaranteed matches over the course of uh, the, the next couple of years going forward so yeah they'll, they'll need to try and find someone to accompany uh, Chinita down the order because you you really need that and you can kind of get away with it against Zimbabwe as we've seen but um, you know you coming up against teams more of the caliber of you know West Indies or or, or Pakistan you need some just a bit more of a kick down the order, and on the bowling side, they they they're good and they they are disciplined and they they can um, restrict the the run rate, but they just need a bit more a bit more zip down the order, I think. Yeah, and again, and that will come from experience in the fifty over game. It's hard. You you almost have to piece together two twenty twenty innings with a nice little middle over bridge in between, and it's a skill that they wouldn't really have to be exponents of in, in the T20 game. So that's just one sort of element of, of their cricket they'll develop once they do play a little bit more 50-over cricket. And if they can do it at the next level and gain that experience potentially at a World Cup, it's it's probably a bonus at this point. 2020 cricket's still very much their go-to format. Talking about Zimbabwe, their men's emerging players uh, were in Namibia, as we know and talked about last week. But just cleaning up, I suppose, that tour with some of the one-day matches that they played there, and it was, again, a pretty dominant display by the Namibians. It got to a point there, Nick, and, and you've pointed out in our little production notes that they basically toyed with, Namibia basically toyed with Zimbabwe at the end there, just to make sure that Herat Erasmus made a 100 in, in one of those matches, but we know that Namibia are continuing on their path to a T20 World Cup not too long from now, but they're Definitely needs to be a focus for them on the 50-over side of things as well with Cricket World Cup League 2, with 2023 World Cup qualification and everything that goes with that. And then ultimately, 
after that a, a reformatted uh, World Cup structure where there are more teams and ultimately more chance of them qualifying. So again, another positive hit out in that they won and they looked pretty strong. Do question perhaps the collective talent of the Zimbabwean emerging team, but again, you can only beat who's playing in front of you, Nick, and Namibia were great once again. Yeah, we, we talked a bit about how it's kind of strange that the, the Zimbabweans didn't send a full team. Um, I know there were some complications with the the scheduling of the Ireland series, but you'd think, you I mean, you, you would certainly hope that there are better players available because, you know, if this is a genuine second string team for Zimbabwe, it doesn't look good for them. You know, they've looked very threadbare, both with batting and bowling. You know, a couple of guys stood up, Ainsley and Lovu, was okay with the ball. Matthew Welsh looked classy batting. You know, Carl Mumba smashed a few runs down the order, but they never really had anyone dominate in in the way that you would hope. Um, whereas Zimbabwe, it's sort of the opposite problem. They they, <laughs> they have a lot of guys that have put up their hands and, and made really convincing performances. You know, Michael van Lingen came along and scored a century as well and, and taking wickets. So that's another um, seam bowling, batting all-rounder that they're going to have to try and fit in somewhere to their to their squad and especially as we said with David Visa coming in how how they put all those pieces of the puzzle together is going to be quite interesting I heard on the broadcast that they've got um, the Titans from South Africa visiting soon and then they're off to South Africa to play some franchise sides so that'll be a good test of where they're at and whether the you know the Zimbabwe side was just a particularly weak one, or or, or whether they're you know they're, they're the real deal. I, I think they are. You look at JJ Smith hitting sixes for fun. <laughs> as you as you mentioned, I th- there were some pretty silly scenes with um with Erasmus trying to get to his century, and JJ Smith was uh, he accidentally hit a six. He he just sort of he, <laughs> he he just whacked it and then sort of realized what he'd done, and he, they'd leveled the scores, and so then he blocked out the rest of the over so that um so that the skipper could get his century, which I, I thought was a bit silly you know it's it's basically a practice match why why bother i don't know i I didn't like that i i think people batting for for landmarks like that is is a bit silly and and you know contrast it with um with naramol chaiwai's century she didn't bat for the milestone she you know she took a single i think on the third ball of the um of the last over which put her on 98 or 99 or something because the run was available and she was just doing you know, trying to get as many runs for a team. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you're, if you're winning that convincingly, yeah, maybe you might as well, but I, I'm not a huge fan of that. I see where you're coming from, but you don't get too many opportunities. In saying that, someone like Erasmus, he probably will get a lot of opportunities to make 100. It's definitely not the first one he'll ever score, but I can kind of understand where they were coming from on it. And as for JJ, imagine being able to hit sixes when you don't even want to hit sixes it's kind of that sort of video game-ish aspect of, of cricket that some really talented players manage to to have within themselves it's it's uh rather enviable i must say looking uh i suppose elsewhere in africa rwanda hosting ghana in a five match series ghana took the series three two weird one with one of the matches nick and we'll get to that I suppose, where Rwanda actually conceded one of the matches and there's been a little bit of... Well, something's been lost in translation in regards to all of this. We haven't really got to the bottom of it. We can definitely speculate, and we will in a second, but it meant that it went to a deciding match and Ghana 
traveling to Rwanda, managed to nick the series 3-2. A couple of key performances here, Nick, but uh, Ghana victorious in a series that has been shrouded in, I would say, controversy, but mainly more mystery. I mean, it was actually a pretty, uh, pretty exciting series. You know, in the first game, uh, the, the two teams traded wins. Uh, Rwanda won by one wicket in the last over, and then Ghana won by two wickets in their chase in the second game. And then the second match day, uh, Rwanda thrashed Ghana in the first game, bowled them out for 79 with uh, Zappi Biminyamana, which I think is uh, another one of our um, <laughs> high-quality high names, taking three wickets in, in that demolition. Uh, I believe he's the, the brother of, uh, of Marie Biminyamana, who's the skipper of the women's team. Uh, and, yeah, then then the fourth uh, T20, which you mentioned, Rwanda conceded, which, yeah, very strange scenes. Ghana posted 160-odd uh, from their 20 overs with, with Rexford Bacon hitting 60. And um, after five overs, Rwanda were one for 30, uh, which is, you know, that's a, a pretty comfortable position to be in after five overs. And the rains came... And then the news came out that Rwanda had just conceded the match instead of, uh, you know, trying to figure out the DLS or trying to get back on the field, uh, you know, which was quite strange. We, we've seen some stuff come out through Twitter that uh, allegedly the thinking from the captain was that he just thought they couldn't get there, so they conceded, which, I mean, that's a, a very odd decision to make if you're a skipper of a cricket team at one for 30 after five overs. Mm. And needing only something like nine and over, I think... We had a number of different theories as to what's happened here. And again, we don't really know for sure what's happened. We're only really working on word of mouth. My theory was just that no one had the updated DLS or no one had the DLS available to calculate what the score was needed for them to get there. But we've seen a couple of different people weigh in on it. And I don't know if it's probably the best thing for us to speculate, but it's definitely something that's happened in the emerging world and it, and it's spurred a lot of conversation. So, And it, it led to Ghana ultimately winning the series. I mean, without that win, you never know. Um, that was in the, in the fourth match and they went to a decider and in the end it was, it was taken out 3-2 by Ghana. A weird one, but again, just another quirk of our, our sport that we know and, and love, <laughs> I guess, uh, given that wet weather doesn't really help in the, uh, in, the, in the way that we want to decide matches on the field when it just gets too difficult. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my theory is that, I mean, yeah, there's there's been some sort of, uh, I guess, uh, I guess the, the worst case scenario is that there's there's some sort of foul play involved there in terms of um, you know, betting or, or gambling influence. But I think quite possibly what happened is just that the the information has gone through a few different people and it's got a bit distorted, you know, Chinese whispers style and, and we've come out with the captain considered because he thought they couldn't win when what originally happened was the um they 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 thought they wouldn't have won under the DLS but they didn't have the official printout so they agreed to concede i don't know that i think i think your theory is probably the most plausible but yeah it, yeah it's it's a funny one fun fact nick when i went to europe for the first time no one knew what chinese whispers was they called it broken telephone uh-huh. which i think is a much better name <laughs> okay <laughs> Definitely a more 
politically correct name, I think we could probably say as well. Oh, there you go. So yeah, broken telephone. <laughs> what a what a game. Uh, moving on uh, so to some more T twenty action. Well, if if um, our experience of the telecommunications industry in Africa is anything to go by, <laughs> that that would make sense. Yeah, too. <laughs> I'm still bitter about that uh, Namibian SIM card that just kept dropping out. <laughs> Now, let's talk about the European T20 World Cup qualifier, which has begun once you all listen to this. Five teams uh, with Turkey withdrawing due to uh, some issues actually getting out to Spain. Unfortunately, not great news on that front, but we've got what should be a pretty fiercely contested tournament coming up in La Manga in Spain. Um, they've done a brilliant job just to get the wicket up to scratch and ready for this tournament. I do know that it's been quite difficult over the last year and a bit to to get the staff in Lamunga and ready to go to put up a deck, but they have managed to do it. Looking at the five teams, France, Germany, Ireland, the Netherlands, and Scotland, uh, you would wager Ireland being the favourites there. We have seen the emergence of Germany over the past year to 18 months. The Netherlands too, as well as Scotland, will be fierce uh, challenges as well. France looking most likely to be fifth in that group. Now, we do know that one team manages to get through, the winner of this tournament manages to get through to the global qualifier. But the added caveat is that the highest ranked or the best placed second team across the regionals will also enter the global qualifier as well. So it's really important for all these teams to fight to the bitter end here, Nick. Looking at this particular tournament, we do know that Ireland are favourites, and Netherlands, uh, with no more Stara Callis, who's removed herself from availability for the Netherlands, it's a big blow for them. You would think that Ireland are the front runners here, but we could definitely see a scenario where they they you know they don't have it all their way here. Yeah, we've seen Ireland play a couple of series against the Netherlands and Scotland, and they dropped games in both of them. So it's you know it's not implausible to to think that they could do so again. Um, Shauna Kavanagh ruled out with a COVID test as well, so that's a blow for Ireland. I think it's funny when you think about it in terms of, like, this is a, a single round robin and the results here, you know, even even if one team upsets another team, and you know, it, it, a lot could happen. And so I, I think it's pretty clear that Ireland will have to be at the top of their game, otherwise they, they are at risk of losing. And, you know, we saw the Netherlands, you know, someone like Babette Delada can just put them you know, put a marker down and, and, and get going. And, you know, the Zika sisters are, are going to be key for them too. I think, yeah, probably Ireland is still the favourites. But, I mean, Germany are coming off a 14-match winning streak uh, in, in the first match coming in hot against Ireland. So, um, that'll be interesting too. You know, Anurata Dodabalapur, who we talked to on the on the podcast a couple of weeks ago uh, with, with a number of uh, quality players in that team, so, yeah, it's it's going to be a really interesting series. I think, you, I mean, yeah, I, I don't I'm, I don't even know who, who to predict. <laughs> I think the Scottish, if they can get their act together, we saw Abtar Maksud have a lot of success in the hundred, and obviously the Bryce sisters are, are world class as well. So, they've they've got a lot of players to look out for too. So, yeah, it's going to be going to be very exciting. I'm very glad you brought that up, Nick, because Sarah Bryce was. Uh, not only did Abtaha Maksud have a great tournament at the 100, uh, it was a trophy-winning tournament as well for Sarah Bryce being the wicketkeeper of the Oval Invincibles. And to keep it within the associate family, Singapore's Tim David also won on the men's side of things for the Southern Braves. So 
some great results on that front. But again, just to look at this women's qualifier in particular, Ireland, Mary Waldron's back as well in Irish colours, um, coming back from... She spends a lot of her time in Australia, so that's a huge boost behind the stumps for the Irish as well. So again, with Scotland's individual talent that's really had a great chance to prepare via a, a domestic franchise tournament, and franchise is used in inverted commas because I know there's a couple of people in the English game who don't call them franchises, but we'll leave that to the people in charge of uh, English cricket and everything that goes with that. But it's a pretty open tournament, and, and again, you could probably make a case for three different teams winning it, and the next best more than likely being uh, the best ranked. Although with that parity amongst the group, it might actually be really difficult to be the highest ranked second place team. You're more likely to actually potentially see second place teams from some of the other regional events with stronger results. So, you know, if we do see a lot of team A beating team B who go on to beat team C, it becomes really difficult under this new format for a second European team to qualify. A lot of this, you know, just listening to it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But once you do go through the pathways, uh, it tends to be a little bit clearer. I would probably put Ireland as favourites for this tournament. But again, we don't know uh, how this is going to turn out and how teams adjust to a neutral Spanish surface in La Manga. We'll wrap that once it comes to an end as well. Yeah, and you mentioned the surface there. <laughs> we saw some photos from uh, Friends of the Pod, PDP, and and Lenny. Uh, Andrew Leonard, who are going to be commentating, which I'm very excited for, but they, um, the the ground, the the actual pitch, is looking a bit shabby because the uh, the resort, which which runs the the whole facility, furloughed a lot of staff during the pandemic, and and with um, club teams coming over from England was sort of their main revenue. Uh, with with that coming to a screeching halt last year, a, a lot of the maintenance work on the pitch. Um, got uh, you know they've had to make a sort of a last minute scramble to get it back up to standard. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays, and um, hopefully there's not too many um, you know <laughs> problems in terms of of a ball carrying or, or anything dangerous happening. But just on Turkey, you know, it's not the first time Turkey has had visa problems for their players. Um, I remember a competition a couple of years ago in Europe where they basically had to send a second string team because most of their first choice players just couldn't get in and and it seems like you know using some Google Translate to onto the Turkish uh, cricket's uh, twi- Twitter account it seems like this was a, an issue with them getting out rather than getting in which again is is quite strange but it just makes me think I wonder if you know, we, we talk about the Olympics and and cricket being uh, trying to get there if cricket were an Olympic sport do you think they might have had a bit of an easier time getting recognition from the sports ministry or you know, whoever they needed to, to actually um, approve their visas? That's a question for the listeners to answer, but I would hazard a guess and say that it would, it would help a lot if cricket was an Olympic sport and it just adds to a number of reasons as to why we want the sport included in the games. The credibility, yeah. It, it would make things uh, much, much easier and again it's just one of one of many things that would be probably um leaving a number of countries hamstrung by by how cricket develops in their respective countries so potentially down the line we we could have some more answers in regards to all of that covid again uh to move on has impacted the 2022 under 19 men's world cup in the last 24 hours or so by the icc that 
there will be three teams progressing automatically from the Americas, Asia, and East Asia-Pacific regions. That means that Canada, UAE, and Papua New Guinea have automatically qualified for the 2022 Under-19 Men's World Cup. Now, that is in the Caribbean next year. I don't think the dates have been outlined for that just yet with everything moving around. There are some obvious winners here being the three teams who automatically qualify, Nick, and and let's make no mistake about that. A number of teams losing out here, not having the chance to, to qualify through respective continental qualification systems. A number of people voicing their frustration in, in Nepal not being given an opportunity among a number of countries who, I suppose, find themselves on the wrong end of this. And I think that frustration is is warranted. I mean, I know we talk about not worrying about things that are out of our control, but I think you can be disappointed on one hand and understanding of the situation as well. I don't really see what the alternative was here. I know that the ICC are trying their utmost just to get a World Cup together uh, this year on the senior side of the of the men's game. There's women's global qualifiers coming up. It's a stacked calendar with everyone hastily trying to put together qualification for tournaments and catching up on lost time. You know, we've had basically two years without proper international travel, let alone international cricket. It's something that is unfortunate. And, you know, for the under-19 guys, maybe down the line there might be a case of of making this tournament, say, under-21, so it can accommodate for players who didn't get the chance to represent their countries at under-19 level. But the decision here has been made and, you know, ultimately people have to live with it. Yeah, it's quite a strange situation, actually, because, I mean, <laughs> with Canada as one of the teams going through, I can't say I'm too sad about it, but it, it does raise a lot of questions in terms of, you know, Canada and Bermuda both pulled out of the America's qualifier, um, citing uh, COVID issues uh, in, in terms of uh, presumably the, the onerous COVID protocols needed. But, yeah, it, it, it's kind of strange to pull out of a tournament and then because you happen to be the, you know, the, the top ranked team from last time <laughs> the tournament gets cancelled and then you just get through without having to play a game so i i can see why the americans would be um not very happy about that but yeah i, I don't know it, it it takes me back a bit it's it sort of um I, I remember when the asia qualifiers were happening last time in in 2019 um it, on the way to namibia for for world cricket league 2 i stopped off in Kuala Lumpur and, and had a big layover there. And so it was during the day. So I, I went out to um, Kinrara and um, and watched a couple of games. And, and so, yeah, it was quite a good break from, from sitting in the airport. But, uh, yeah, I remember the Nepalese fans were very upset about, uh, about losing to the UAE. And, um, you know, now that <laughs> the, the sort of history is repeating itself, not even on the playing field, just just through an administrative decision is, um, yeah, I can see why they wouldn't be happy. And I don't really, I don't know, did, did I guess the ICC must have sort of figured that they couldn't, they didn't have enough runway to get these tournaments played. But then I don't think the European tournaments have been cancelled yet. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it, it must have been a scheduling problem. Or, yeah, who knows? Quite possibly. I mean, I'm sure they would have tried their utmost to get these tournaments up and running I think the big thing and the big bugbear that a lot of people would have about this is that if you're dealing with rankings, I mean, rankings are already enough. They're already flawed enough to a point where we don't like using them for anything. But 
when you're factoring in the fact that a lot of these players play one under-19 World Cup and then go over age and, and don't qualify for the next one, your position on those rankings are determined by a crop of players that don't play in your team anymore. So yeah, I can understand the, the haste that, that's been sort of thrown up around the place. But again, if we can't find an alternative, that's unfortunately the best thing the ICC can do in this situation as much as it you know doesn't help as much as it isn't the, the right answer necessarily it's it's the best answer given the situation that we've been dealt well not so great news on the Nepali side of the under 19 World Cup side of things some good news for Nepal is that Sandeep Lamachane has re-signed with the Hobart Hurricanes for this year's Big Bash League uh, another signing that has been made of note in the international associate game, Virandeep Singh becomes the first Malaysian cricketer to sign a global franchise league contract. He'll join the Chitwan Tigers in the Everest Premier League. But let's start with Sandeep. Only got to play eight games last year. He was in quarantine, got to the Big Bash late uh, last year. I don't think he played a game until maybe New Year's Day this year. So an abbreviated tournament for him, but he has been a consistent performer on the franchise side of things. He took eight wickets across those eight matches, looked solid and economical, as we know Sandeep is. We'll start with Sandeep now. Again, a shrewd re-signing, I think, by the Hobart Hurricanes. We know how dangerous leg spin is. He's got a bit of a bromance with Tim David as well, who's just signed an IPL contract, and we could probably talk about that. In some detail now, I know we've already brought up Tim David's 100 success, but look, it's been a pretty good week, I suppose, in the associate uh, franchise league side of things. We know Paul Van Makeren's off to the CPL as well. Things are starting to move here, Nick, and, and Sandeep re-signing is just another example of that. Yeah, I've got to hope that um, you know for, for a long time, Sandeep's been one of the very few associates playing his trade in in. Um, franchise tournaments and we saw the you know farcical scenes uh with him trying to get into england and then you know five days into his quarantine being told oh actually you're on the wrong visa go home and so hopefully um whoever's responsible for his paperwork in australia is going to do a better job than they did on the <laughs> oh, um yes on, on the trip to england but uh yeah good signing for hobart good in, yeah interesting that the associates are sticking together in uh, in hobart and i mean yeah it's it's we we've seen this a lot it's just about getting noticed, and once you're on the the franchise cricket merry-go-round, teams know you, and and they're willing to give you a go. And even Tim David, everything he touches recently just goes for six, doesn't it? He's just been smashing them in the. He played, I think, a couple of games in the one-day comp in England and scored a century off not many balls, and then <laughs> went went into the hundred and smashed it around. And I'm sure he'll do the same in the IPL as he's been doing for Singapore and and so many other teams. And I think. It's it's interesting that yeah, associate cricket is often sort of touted as a bit of a, a, a you know a, a shop window as it were. But when people aren't watching you, you kind of need to be you, you need someone to to take notice. And you know, Tim David's been doing this for Singapore for a couple of years now. But what it really took was him having a good big bash season, and that's where you get your in. So hopefully. Uh, going forward, people are going to be a bit more willing to to look at associate cricketers and and give them a chance. But it seems like the opportunities are still a little bit slow to come. Even though whenever they do get a chance, these associate players generally do perform. 
On the other side of things too, I definitely think that these associate players almost need to push their case further forward off the field too. I'm talking about Paul Van Makeren more here because we know he's a player who actually, when we look at the T20 World Cup first 11 that the Dutch put out at the start of the T20 World Cup very soon, there's quite a good chance that Paul Van Makeren doesn't make the best 11 in that side, yet he's able to you know leverage his form in English domestic cricket and say to someone, look, you know, I can do a job here in the CPL. I'm here and available to be signed. And sure enough, you know, there, there's a contract that, that ends up, you know, in his email inbox. So I think, too, that there's definitely, there definitely needs to be an endeavor by a number of associate players who, let's face it, a lot of them probably don't have a player agent as well to really leverage these sorts of deals because, you know, you need to spend money to make money even in the cricketing fraternity. And a lot of these players who are probably good enough to play T20 franchise cricket might not necessarily have someone with their back and with their best interests in mind to potentially leverage a deal. Van Makeren, we know, is is a hard worker. You know, he's probably the hardest working man in associate cricket. And that's off the field. You know, we saw, we know why he went viral during COVID with the way that he earned a lot of his money doing Uber Eats deliveries. The guy's a bit of a hustler and, you know, I think there's definitely a lesson that can be taken from all of that. But again, once you do get on that merry-go-round, it is much harder to jump off than it is to, well, it seems more difficult for players to find their way off that merry-go-round than it is to get on the merry-go-round. Tim David going from strength to strength and looking at Virandeep Singh, he put himself in the Everest Premier League shop window by playing that international T20 series in Nepal and playing really well. And if that's the start he needs on the on the franchise T20 bandwagon, then so be it. But again, it's all about these guys taking the chance and almost gambling on themselves. And then once they do get in that position, to flourish. And, and we're seeing it firsthand. And again, something like the 100, Tim David coming in last minute, playing in a final, belting a couple of sixes with the bat, and then took a great catch, and then ran out Liam Livingston, which was ultimately the final nail in the coffin in that in that match as well. So it's an exciting time, and we know that this World Cup coming up is going to be a great opportunity for even more associate cricketers to put their hand up. So it looks to be a pretty good time at the moment from from an emerging standpoint. Yeah, just on Deep Singh, I think it's a pretty good get for, for the Chitwan Tigers. He's a, he's a great utility in the sense that, yes, he's a classy bat, but he can also do a job keeping or bowling left-arm orthodox, which, you know, that, that's the kind of... Um, it just gets me thinking. I, I wonder if this is something we'll see a bit more of in T20s with, with players sort of diversifying their skill sets as well as, as we've seen from, you know, analysis from guys like Tim Wigmore about how there's a lot of specialisation. Just having a guy that can do a job in, in a bunch of different roles is also pretty useful and uh, yeah you know you think about someone like Simon Narayan I saw an interesting piece from Jared Kimber about how he's uh, you know kept sort of reinventing himself to, to stay relevant in T20 cricket so yeah that's just a, a trend I think to keep an eye on in, in, in franchise cricket. Hi this is Anuradha Dotbalapur the captain of the German women's team and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. 
A few news bits and pieces to round out this week's show. A Netherlands A squad has completed a clean sweep of their three-match T20 series against Denmark in a tune-up for several plays before the World Cup. Ben Cooper made a blistering 110 from 65 balls in Game 2 alongside Tobias Vise, who made 84 from 55 deliveries. The Dutch completed the sweep with a 39-run victory as the bowlers restricted Denmark to just 110. Portugal have taken out their home men's T20i tri-series against Malta and Gibraltar, winning all four of their matches in Albuquerque. Sirajula Kadim claimed nine wickets and Azar Andani made 276 runs for the home side. Malta claimed the two matches against Gibraltar to finish in second. And finally, Jonty Road Sweden has drawn 2-2 in their away T20i series in Finland. All four matches were won by teams chasing in Karava, with Sweden coming back from 2-0 down to level the series in Game 4. That's everything in the Emerging game this week. For more, log on to EmergingCricket.com and follow Emerging Cricket wherever you are on social media. But for now, on behalf of myself, Daniel Beswick and Nick Skinner, enjoy the rest of your week wherever you are around the Emerging Cricket world.